I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. In this episode, the continuing COVID crisis in New South Wales and Victoria. When and how are we getting out of it? Mr Hinch, welcome to That's Life. Oh, thank you, Tony. Hey, we're getting close to 100 episodes of this, isn't it? Or something like well, 50 or something like that. Uh, well, it's, uh, at, an, at half an hour ago, that's sort of like about uh, <laughs> a lot of hours of listening. <laughs> it is indeed. Uh, now, listen, let's, let's talk COVID because um, uh, New South Wales, of course, and, and things may have even, events may have overtaken us by the time this goes to air, but uh, New South Wales getting three, 400 a day uh, in real trouble. I was on Sunrise recently and... Uh, I said about Gladys the Berejiklian, I said, she reminds me of a Johnny Mathis song, and some of you will be too young to even know who he was, but a Johnny Mathis song, and the song was um, Too Much, Too Little, Too Late. (laughs) (laughs) And to me that sums up the way that that New South Wales has reacted to this. They've handled it very badly. Uh, The way that she scoffed, and and ScoMo did too, about Andrews last year, the way we we locked down hard and lockdowns weren't needed. Uh, I think New South Wales is in terrible trouble. I think Dr Chant, and this may be superseded, she hasn't been seen for days. I heard a report that she was offered to resign, but it was rejected. She hasn't been seen at the media conferences. Um, She was absolutely... um, uh, decimated by uh, Hazard, the health minister, at that parliamentary hearing the other day, which he just overrode her, stepped on her and said, I'll answer that, I'm the health minister. And my belief is she insisted on a lockdown much earlier than the New South Wales government ever went for. Now, when you say it's your belief, what are you basing that on? Have you, have you actually heard... The people I talk to in New South Wales. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and they would know, you're saying. Yeah. I mean, you got inside information about well, this? Well, th- 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 she did offer to resign and the res- resignation was denied because I, if you watch it, and I watch it every day, when she was asked, when did you advise the government to lock down, she fudges it because she's a public servant and it's up to the Premier to make the decisions and make the announcements. But I believe that she probably, from the stuff I'm hearing, recommended shutting down Sydney tough 10 or 15 days earlier than they did. And even the lockdowns that they've done, which Berejiklian keeps saying are the toughest ones in the country, which is bullshit. I mean, I read a story the other day about a a judge and his wife have gone off to Threadbow because that's where their second holiday house is. Now, if you're in strict lockdown, you don't go on holidays. Um, But they allowed some guy to go to Byron Bay, supposedly, to um, inspect real estate properties. It's just, it's just not. You either lock down or you don't, and you can't keep leaving it open the way that New South Wales did. I mean, I've talked about this before. They called them lockdown light and mockdowns, and that's what it was. And now they're ruining the day. They've gone from three hundred to four hundred, nearly five hundred cases a day, and many of them in the community. The minute that Bondi outbreak happened, the Bondi cluster, they should have just slammed the door shut. And so I, I, I believe other states that are saying, lock the border, rig of steel, go for it. Do you think uh, it's because there's dissent within the New South Wales Cabinet, not everybody's on the same page, they, they don't all agree? And, oh, 100%, 100%. And what's interesting also is 
when they've announced this uh, statewide lockdown, uh, it wasn't done at a media conference, and there was a media conference held only a, a couple of hours before. Yes. It was done by Twitter. What's going on there? What, yeah, I, that, that's that's real Donald Trump stuff, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I mean, here you've got the Premier turns up every day and she should be congratulated for turning up if he doesn't even answer all the questions. But to announce that by Twitter was a disgrace. And for nobody to find, and in the end, they put the Deputy Premier out there to on television hours later. But, I mean, I'll accept they didn't know at 11am when they had the press conference they were going to shut down and slam the door at 5pm. But when you do decide that, it's an insult, to, especially to regional New South Wales, when you um, just put it on Twitter. I mean, government doesn't run by Twitter, or it shouldn't, unless you're Donald Trump. And, well, it's almost like you don't want to put your, you don't want to put yourself in a position where you have to answer questions about this. Exactly. Well, why do why didn't the premier call an instant press conference fifteen minutes away and say we've got some big news, bad news? Darren, what, what do you think is the answer for New South Wales? Because uh, it's got away. I mean, it, it's it's critical here in Victoria. It just shows you also how difficult this Delta variant of the virus is because mm. Victoria is struggling to get on top of it, even though they locked down early. Well, Tony, they used to say, um, where you're leading, they used to say years ago, if General Motors sneezes, the world catches cold Now, on the economy. Now, the same applies to COVID here in Australia and other countries. If one state is, is in trouble, the country's in trouble. Um, and unless you act hard and fast and shut down and lock and put a real steel up around yourselves, you're going to affect everybody else. I mean, you've seen the way it spread through country Victoria. And Dan Andrews was right when he said, if it can get to Orange and places like that, then they can cross the border from Albury Wodonga. And and that that makes sense to me. So, and I, I suspect we're going to air this week, but. Um, I think the, the, our lockdown in Victoria is probably going to be extended again and that part of that comes back to to other states not behaving properly. Now, McGowan in WA always gets uh, hit on by people saying he's too tough, he's this, he's that, but he's making decisions and I, um, I tend to agree. He's now saying if you don't have a vaccination, you aren't coming to WA and, and that to me is summed up by what's happened in the last couple of weeks around the world. You've had Canada um, has now announced that all travellers must be vaccinated. You've got the United States where uh, it's been announced last week that all military personnel in the United States must have a vaccination by mid-September, right? Uh, and so that sort of stuff is happening. You've got, as I said, you've got Perth, you've got Canada, the United States. France is sort of doing the same. We will get there, and same, same in Australia. And I'm happy to carry a... I know people don't like this, but I'm happy to carry a vaccination passport that says, yep, I've had both jabs. And uh, if that means I get into a, a concert or a restaurant or a bar or a nightclub and you don't because you're unvaccinated, then that's your problem. We had a bit of debate too because uh, SPC, the uh, fruit... Mm -hmm. uh, the fruit company... Canada, 
they're saying they want their employees vaccinated. Uh, Telstra has also come out and said they may require some of their employers uh, employees to be vaccinated. Uh, I see nothing wrong with it, but uh, apparently the, the Prime Minister says this has got to be a decision made by companies, it can't be made by government. I don't understand why. He's wrong. He's wrong. I mean, I, I watched him say that the other day. Um, companies, businesses need direction. They need help because, as, um, as I've said before, you run a company and you, you, you have a duty of care to your employees and your customers. Therefore, if an unvaccinated person infects somebody in your, your office or your business or your factory, you could get sued. If that person dies, his, his or her family could sue you for, for involuntary manslaughter. Um, and and, and I, I believe that um, got, businesses do have the right to say you can't come to work if you're not vaccinated. There are rules everywhere. I mean, you've got to wear a seat, but when you drive to work, you go to work on a construction site, you've got to wear a vest, a high-vis vest and a, um, a hard hat, you know? Rules apply in businesses. Now, if... And the other side of it is that, um, you know, non-vaccinated people are going to say, well, I'm being discriminated against. Well, I'm sorry, that's... You've got to... You, this is the world it is. You have the right. It's not mandatory. You have the right... Although it is mandatory in some some areas like aged care and uh, and quarantine, you have the right not to be vaccinated. But you also may have to accept the fact you may not go anywhere. You you will be a pariah. Um, Qantas has said you can't fly with us. This is months ago. You can't fly with us unless you're vaccinated. Well, I think that's fair too because I wouldn't want to get on a plane, travel for 15 hours, breathing the same air with somebody who's not vaccinated and maybe carrying a COVID-19 virus that could kill me. Darren, what about the argument? And some women uh, women say that, uh, you know, their bodies are their bodies and they shouldn't have other people make decisions about their bodies. This is in relation to uh, abortion and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, what about the argument that uh, I decide what I put in my body? I don't want the government deciding what okay. I put in my body. Okay, yeah, good, good point, but... You, you go and have a flu vaccine. When we were kids, we had polio vaccines. You know, we, we decide what's put in our bodies because the medical advice is that we're going to stop smallpox, we're going to stop polio, etc., etc. And these same women who say it's my body, they happily go and have an oral contraceptive, which has a bigger chance, a much bigger chance of giving you a blood clot than a vaccine does. The other problem, though, is, Darren, if an employer forces an employee to uh, have a vaccine and they have a bad reaction to it, because, you know, it's very small, but... Can happen, yep. It can happen, that's right. Obviously, the employer wants to uh, be not held liable for that in some way. For and deserves some, and but deserves some government protection. I, I think uh, ScoMo is being... Morrison is being... Uh, too clever by half by pushing this back on employers because they're urging everybody to get vaccinated. They're mandating that some people in some businesses must be must be uh, vaccinated. But for them to just push it back on individual employers, is, I think, is wrong. Darren, we're uh, we're in August. Uh, we're eighteen months into this. People are tired. We're tired of talking about it. Uh, yeah. Is there any hope, do you think, that between now and Christmas that uh, that, that we, will, we will be open at some stage? 
Well, the the, the news coming out of Sydney or the, the, the vibe is they'll be locked down till November or December. We forget we did five months of it here last year. I can't see them getting out. I see the numbers increasing every day. I mean, you had Gladys saying things like well, the green shoots are showing. Well, the green shoots aren't showing. Um, I think they will be in lockdown for a long time. I think Victoria could get out of it uh, much earlier. Um, I know the word is that we're going to be locked down further than the current one uh, and we are getting some disturbing numbers at the moment, even at 25 and 30. Uh, but I think people are following the rules. I think we will get out of it a bit earlier, but uh, it's not looking good. And for business, it's just just, just destroying. Well, you've often talked about the Italian restaurant across the road from you. Mm. Uh, I mean, I see a story about a pub in Collingwood that's been open for 150 years. The, the Bendigo, right? The yeah. Bendigo, that's right. The, guy's, the guy needs $180,000 to keep open. He doesn't have the money and he's, you know, effectively pleading for people to, to help him. This is a pub that is thriving in the uh, live music scene. Mm. Um you know, I, I was talking to another guy who's a very wealthy guy during the week, and he said, how long is a piece of rubber? How, can, how long can you stretch that for? People can't sustain this indefinitely. Um, a, a lot of businesses are on their knees. They won't come mm. back. And, and does it get to a point, Darren, I guess what I'm trying to get to is, does it get to a point where the damage that's being caused by closing is more than the damage that would be caused if you opened things up? Well, the, the the argument I put on that, and it's not popular, people say, oh, the damage to the economy, which you're referring to. Well, if you don't, not, not if, you, only, on, if, not, you, if you don't have health, you don't have an economy. Yeah, but, but uh, I'm also not just saying about the economy. I see there's some tweets today about uh, what happens with VCE students. Now, uh, you've got children who uh, are not going to school. Uh, people, young mothers that I talk to say their children uh, are in tears. They're, uh, they're, they're finding this very, very difficult. Now, that all builds up into a mental health issue. Yeah, but if the kids are in tears, they'll be even more tears if they got bloody COVID. Well, I understand that. But is there an argument to say, well, it's not just economic, it's also mental health and um, it's also... Education and future and uh, and children and what are we doing to these by by uh, to these children by locking up for such a, a long time? We've done it until now, and health has really dominated. But at what point do you have to change your strategy? Is what I'm well, saying. I don't agree. I think health must be must be the must be the, the, the dominating thing in all of this. I mean, if your kids are crying because they're doing homeschooling, is awful. But if they're crying because they've got COVID, it'd be even worse. And young people are getting COVID. I mean, this is the worst, the worst health scare we've had, scare, the worst health problem we've had in this country in 100 years. And I, I agree. A, a, a friend of mine as a teacher told me the other day that she said, there'll be kids whose education is destroyed forever because of their home lockdowns during COVID. And, and, and that, that is awful. But, I mean, this idea like the George Christiansons are saying that lockdowns don't work and open places up, well, that's not true. Um, we get scared, or I do. Every day I read the numbers of how many new cases we've got, I immediately look to see how many were in the community. Mm. They're going to spread it. Eventually, though, 
we can't keep living like this. We have to open up and, and the good thing is we do have a vaccine, a number of vaccines, so there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. Uh, the figure that's been put out by the federal government, I think, was 70 or 80% vaccination rate, that then they'll just open up. Yeah, OK, I, I, and I wear that. Um, look, in Victoria in recent days, we've got to 25% fully vaccinated people, and the Premier has said he wants to have five, one million people vaccinated in the next five weeks, and that's admirable. I hope we can get there. Um the idea that you can start opening things up after fifty percent, I don't think is wise. But uh, I'm no expert. I but, think New uh, South we Wales. We are getting there. That's what they've been looking at, and I suspect that New South Wales will say, uh, because you know they're facing a very long, long, long lockdown uh, uh, and a brutal one. Uh, they will say, "Well, look, it, it, once we get to fifty percent." and you've been vaccinated, you can go out and about and do your business providing you... Because you've been vaccinated, Darren. I mean, mm. you're in lockdown, but should you be? Yes, because I can I can still spread it or I can still pass it on. So, look, that thing from about the 50%, um, Berejik didn't start to row back on that because the other, other premiers are absolutely against it. Um, we, we, we've got to wear it. We've got to wear it. That's all right. That's my feel. The other thing of all this is w w what happens politically now. You know, we had Darren, Dad, Daniel Andrews last year and he was in big trouble. He's recovered a bit. He's almost being seen like a saviour now. <laughs> like, oh, like, yeah, what, 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 what Victoria did, we were the lepers last year and now New South Wales, are, according to Daily Telegraph of Sydney, they're the pariahs <laughs> uh, and, and they should be. I mean, politically, I think in the end... Um, despite the early problems that Andrews had with quarantine, despite the problems that Morrison had with the distribution of vaccines, I think both of them will recover from it by the end of the year. By the, by the election next year, I think Andrews will come back strongly on it. ScoMo, we've now got 25% of people totally vaccinated in Victoria, which is awesome, as I said. Um, I think... By, by Christmas, and I don't believe ScoMo will go for an election this year. He doesn't have to go till May next year for a double for a, for a, for a double uh, election. I think he'll, um, I think he'll hold off, and I think by then you'll have we'll be up to the seventy percent, and we'll be looking pretty good. I notice you didn't mention Gladys Berejiklian in there. She doesn't have to go for a number of years, but can she survive this? Look, look. She is, she is the Teflon queen. I mean, her relationship with that other politician and, and she didn't scar her at all when it should have. Um, she was the, supposedly the heroine of, uh, of COVID last year. Um, if, if she says, um, can I say one more time, I'll scream. Uh, yes, you can say, you're the bloody premier. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they've all got their little foibles. I yeah. mean, I noticed Daniel Andrews, uh, he's got his little go-to lines. And, uh, you know, you've mentioned these go-to lines. Uh, Scott Morrison, what is going on with Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker in the Parliament? Tony, it drives me nuts. <laughs> I watch Question Time every day. You've seen me on Twitter. In, I watch, in two questions, Morrison said, Mr Speaker... 20 times in the first question <laughs> and 23 times in the second question. We we know who the bloody speaker is. Uh, I, I guess it's a way of stalling to um, to think of something. It's like 
when somebody says, a politician says, let me make one thing perfectly clear, you know that's a stall until he can obfuscate <laughs> well, like crazy. Well, you know, crazy. he's not going to be perfectly clear. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Let me make one thing perfectly clear, and here we go, you know. <laughs> but this, yeah, Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, I mean, I, when I was in the Senate, I would say Mr President, out of respect, when I asked a question, but you only said it once. You wouldn't say it in a two-minute, one-minute, 30-minute, one thirty-second, or two-minute answer. He said it 23 times. Well, I played a, a news grab of him in the news, and it ran for 17 seconds. And in that 17 seconds, he said it four times. <laughs> now, I've only become aware of this recently. Now, has he been doing this all the way through his parliamentary career? Surely I, I would think know so. about it if he did. No, I don't think so. I think it's something new. I mean, I would have picked it up earlier, I'm sure. I'm right. sure. So it must, it's just something that he's developed. Now, someone obviously needs to tell him, you know, just cut this out a bit because it's well, annoying. Well, I keep trying people. to. I keep putting tweets up saying, Jesus, 20, 23. I mean, 23 in one answer. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, Mr. You know, I know you have to go through the Speaker. That's the way the political system works in the House of Reps and the Senate. But you, you, once you've acknowledged him, um, you've got, he's got his back turned to him while he's saying, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker. And the other day, he said, he does not doing this once in a sentence. He now does it twice. Say, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker. God, give what's, a it, what's it like, Darren, being on the floor of Parliament? Um, it's different in the Senate. There's more pressure on the House of Reps during yes, that question time. The Senate's a bit more relaxed and a bit more... Uh, more collegiate, they say, yeah, that's the word. Yeah. But the pressure that you would be under, uh, particularly if you're the Prime Minister, and I've watched the British Parliament, I think they go for it even more. The British they Parliament, they're very close together uh, and the numbers are greater. Uh, and they're all sitting sort of cheek by jowl. Oh, in, in, in Britain, in, 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 in their parliament, they're sitting cheek by jowl, you're quite right, and the Speaker is usually very, very um, vicious, actually, over there. It tears them apart. I think Smith is a, probably the best Speaker I've seen here for um, a long time in the House of Reps. He's very moderate. Uh, he, he's not purely liberal, even though he's appointed by the Liberals. Um I think he's. He, I, I listen to his judgments. I think he's very wise, and it's going to be a sad thing he's not contesting the next election. Um, when you were in the Senate, though, Darren, uh, you contributed with uh, the question time that the Senate uh, also mm. has. As an independent, though, you're the, you ask questions very few people would ask you questions. True. Did you ever get a question asked of you in the Senate? No, you can't. You see, that's the thing. You, you can only ask questions of the government. I, I, I spoke to the president. Um, Scott Ryan, and I was trying to, while I was there, I was trying to re, re, rewrite some of the Senate rules, and I said, wouldn't it be good if, if instead of the stupid Dorothy Dixes that the government ministers ask, they don't even know what they're asking, they read it, they're given it to read, you know, their Dorothy Dixes to the government, wouldn't it be great if they could ask the shadow ministers questions? rather than just asking their own minister. And I loathe it when they say, oh, I thank the member for his question. Like, well, the you guy was handed it. He had never read it in his life, you know. It's just <laughs> bullshit. And I, I, I campaigned while I was in the Senate, and when I got my turn, we, as a crossbench, you only get a term every few weeks to ask a question. Um, oh, so they, they limit the, your ability to ask Oh, oh yeah, you, 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 there's, there's a roster. And uh, you, you're only as a crossbench. You get a turn once every few weeks. But I used to say to the president, because uh, in the Senate you get three questions, uh, two follow-ups, and and I think it's rubbish. You either ask a question, 
If you don't get an answer, you're entitled to ask a, uh, a follow-up. But I should say to the President, and Mr President, I forfeit my third question because it's irrelevant. <laughs> to try and force a point to get them to change it. You know, in, this, in the House, you don't get three questions, you get one. Uh, but I really i have gone back to this before. When they say, oh, I thank the Honourable Member for his question, and think, well, bull dust, you know. He didn't even know it was in it. You hear them stumble over them. They haven't even bothered to read the question before they actually start to read it. You know, so. and, and how do they determine the length of uh well, time. that's exactly, it's either 30, I can't remember now, it's either 30 seconds or two minutes. No, no, the, the entire period of question time. One hour. Uh, it's one hour. That's one it. hour. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You see, um, I, I think that's the best part of Parliament is question time. Uh, well, if, if, if you've got rid of Dorothy Dixers, which uh, this is a trivial pursuit, do you know why it's called a Dorothy Dixer? I think you went into this uh, some time ago. I probably ago, did. Uh, yeah, it's um, because, it, like an Ask Abby... Um, Lonely Hearts column, there was a woman who used to have a column called Dorothy Dix and people would ask columns of dollar, ask questions of Dorothy Dix and she'd answer them. Uh, and now that's why they call Dorothy Dixes. Um, uh, you, you obviously, in your time in Parliament, uh, determine different ways that you can make the Parliament operate better, but obviously governments, whether they are Liberal or Labor, in the end, they don't want Parliament to be more brutal or, or more... Well, I, I was on a committee in the Senate to uh, revamp the Senate's uh, behaviour, including question time, and uh, and I ran this committee and I enjoyed it and we come up with some good ideas. And uh, in the end, though, um, and I, I like it very much, but Penny Wong... Uh, asked to abandon the committee because I was asking too many questions. And so my my little committee to uh, revamp um, the Senate was, was abandoned. Just quickly, give us an idea of, um, of what you think would be good changes to make, to make the, 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 the Parliament more accountable. Well, my main push was on question time to stop these three questions, this rubbish, to stop Dorothy Dixers. You shouldn't have, have tame government politicians asking other people questions, you know. So, uh, yeah. Hey, listen, can I ask you, before we go, because we must be running out of time, yep. can I just ask you quickly, uh, I'll comment quickly on Afghanistan. Um, what's happening there, the pullout, it's it's Vietnam revisited, revisited. Yep. the fall of Saigon, we've got... Biden is sending 5,000 troops back in. We're sending some troops back in. The UK is sending troops back in to evacuate people. They must have seen it coming, and I think they've, they've been all been dumbed the way, the slowness of it all. But what really hit me this week, I read a story about a woman out of one of the provincial capitals that's fallen in Afghanistan, just 100 miles from Kabul, and she said she was a student at a college and she went to school as usual and was sent home by the Taliban because they've taken over the capital. And also female office workers are being sent home because they're female. And you see that country is going down a sewer so fast yet again. And 20 years and trillions of dollars and all the training by Australians and Americans of the Afghan military force, they're falling over like like crazy. The The... the, the Work we did in building, trying to build, rebuild bases and things have now been taken over by the Taliban. 
military equipment from left by the Americans being taken over by the Taliban. Uh, by the time this goes to where Kabul may have fallen. Um, but then, look, this country has been stuffed since Alexander the Great. So everybody's tried to save it. The English, the Americans, the Russians, in their own forms, and, it, and it, it, it's never worked, and uh, never has in hundreds of years. I just feel so sorry for women in Afghanistan as we speak. Well, also for the families, the parents of uh, soldiers, and I talk about Australian soldiers because we're in Australia. Who died. Who have died, who really now, uh, it's back to square one. Nothing's been achieved there. Those, bo- those lives have been lost. Uh, the yeah, Taliban will take over. It will rule the, the, the country. Uh, will terrorism re- re- resume there? I mean, that was the whole point of going in there was because... Uh, a, but, but you can't fight You can't fight for 20 years. Um, they didn't intend it to last that long. I saw a very good article by Dan Rather, the, uh, the American, American journalist, just the other day, and he says that troops going into a country... And not there, they're just trying to save it, not there to build a country, to rebuild a country. You can't build a system by foreign military troops. It just doesn't work and won't work. We saw that in Vietnam. I mean, all those years in Vietnam and all those lives lost in Vietnam, they just, just folded. The Saigon evacuation was a disgrace and people were left there. And I'm sad to say that there'll be um, interpreters and government workers who'll be left in Afghanistan and who will die in Afghanistan or their families will. Well, they'll be killed because if they mm. cooperated uh, in any way, it'll be known by the Taliban and they'll be killed. Yeah, and they'll start knocking on doors and shooting people. Uh, uh, it is the most... And, and, and I, I read, I saw a TV report just the other day of somebody saying, as they took over one of the provincial... Kandahar, I think it was, took over a provincial capital and they're saying... Islam, again, Islamic law will rule Afghanistan and then Islamic law will rule the world. And Islamic law means means subjugation of women, murder, um, no justice. Yep, mm. it's a sad situation. And uh, again, I guess it reinforces uh, how lucky we are that just by accident we were born in the countries that uh, we were born in. That's uh, true. And just hope, though, for Australian... Soldiers who may suffer from peers, you know, from um, post-traumatic stress disorder, that that, that they realised they didn't fight in vain. They were sent there by their country to do a job, and they did it. They protected a, they protected Afghanistan people in Kabul and other places um, places for twenty years. So I just hope the families of, of, of soldiers who died there don't think it was all in vain. They did what they thought they had to do. Mr Hinch, we've run out of time. I'm off to go and get my second vaccination. So uh, we will uh, chat next week. Okay, mate. And just remember the line, no jab, no job. No jab, no job. That's right. (laughs) Talk to you. That's a job.